On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are taking flight with Idris Elba in Hijack on Apple TV+, solving crimes on the Quasette with Can Confidential on Acorn, plus we're rap battling with Champion on BBC One, and creator Candice Carty-Williams joins us on the show a little later to talk all about it, but that's not all, because as you know, I'm slightly obsessed with Star Trek Strange New World, so I beamed Anson Mount directly into this podcast to chat to me all about that. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your essential guide to every show that matters, and a podcast that spent most of the past week in a perpetual queue for Taylor Swift tickets after the UK arm of her Eras tour was announced on Tuesday. Very exciting. Also with me in said virtual queue are my two Swifty co-hosts. First up, Pilot TV's original anti-hero, it's Boyd Hilton, brackets Taylor's version. Your obsession with Taylor Swift is absolutely fascinating. Um, it's bonkers. Yeah, it's really weird. It's excellent. You have no you know knowledge it. of popular culture in general, but suddenly you hone in on yeah. the Swift. That's it. That's it. Mm. I've picked this particular one. And I knew she was trouble when she walked in. It's Kay Ribeiro. <laughs> Hello. Guys, did you manage to register for tickets? Have you got yours in ba- in hand? Are they in the bag? Are they, you know, sorted? James, I think I've told you this before, and I hate to say it because you're such a super fan, but I actually do not like Taylor Swift. Okay, we can't be friends anymore. Hate her. I know, I know. I really, I don't, I don't hate her, but I just, I'm not a, like, ever, I've got loads of friends who are fans and I just don't get it, but yeah. I'm sure you can tell me. I, off I time. will. Do you know what? All we'll do a reasons. special. We'll do a special on Pilot Plus where I'll just spend an hour explaining to you why Taylor Swift is awesome with you know PowerPoint okay. notes and whatnot. Maybe. So we've got some. We've got some very quick housekeeping to get out of the way first. Uh, first piece of housekeeping: Kay is ill and not feeling well, and mm-hmm. yet has braved this podcast despite being ill. So let's let's just be honest. Her tolerance for me will be even lower than usual. So I'm going to have to be <laughs> on my best behaviour this morning. Yeah, uh, be nice to me, James, please. Yes. Uh, second of all, Boydie has a hard out because we've started late and he has an interview to do. And frankly, one of the interviews for this particular podcast. So, yes. so we're going to have to keep this to a very tight yes. and, episode. And the other revelation, which you're not saying, is that you kept us waiting because you got the pad the plumber around. I was hoping and- to, to, to gloss over that. So we're recording well, remotely. Yeah. We're, rec- we're recording remotely this week due to the, the illness issues. And it's true. Not a euphemism. It, I had wait. a plumber around this morning. He's had, yeah, James, you've had your own issue, waterworks issue, so it's all yes, good. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I had to have my uh, my boiler serviced, if you know what I mean. Yes, I literally- <laughs> Don't make li- that, don't make li- that a Rudy thing. Literally had my boiler serviced, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Not a euphemism, that's actually what happened. Uh, so yeah, so so that that's that's why we're going to be going through this even quicker than usual. Uh, the other things are, remember, remember, this is one of your last chances to get Pilot Plus at the lower price. So if you were thinking of subscribing, and why wouldn't you, for it is excellent- and you'll find out why a little bit later on. Uh, do sign up now for a whole year, and you can lock in the lower price of one ninety nine a month, and you get a month free. So pretty good that. Uh, EmpireOnline.com slash Pilot TV or Empire.SupportingCast.FM, and then press the little Pilot TV button. Either one is fine. If you're already a subscriber and don't pay annually, but you want to keep the price low, now is a good time to lock that in. And if you are already a subscriber, I should take this opportunity to say a big thank you. It is massively appreciated, all of you who do subscribe to Pilot Plus. Uh, it is, well, frankly, the thing that allows us to keep doing this podcast. So again, thank you very much for that. And if you are on the fence, if you're thinking about joining us, uh, the Silo Spoiler Special will be going up this week, probably on Friday, if not Saturday, just after the final episode airs. So that's very exciting for Silo fans as well. And also don't forget, we have our live show on the 19th of April, Pilot 250. It's going to be brilliant. There are going to be... What did I say? April. April? April. Yeah. Okay, so, okay. 
crucially, it does not happen in the past. It does not happen in the past. It is not in April. That was a very weird, belated April Fool's joke. It is the 19th of August. August, 19th of August this year. It will be on a Saturday night. What better way to spend a Saturday night than with me, than with Boydie, than with Kay, so she can shout at you. Uh, It's going to be great. Uh, There are going to be baked goods. We're going to make literal, actual cakes, which you might get to eat, or might not, depending on health and safety. Uh, But anyway, book now, kingsplace.co.uk slash pilot 250 book immediately book this very second and that's it oh the other thing i did want to say while we're on the Mm -hmm. topic of baked goods is that uh, one of our listeners cray bakes uh had volunteered to send us some baked goods to make up for boydie's egregious lack of boydie blondies which we had been (laughs) promised and never received and we got them and they were really, really nice. Delicious. Like, they were very exciting. I, um, Kay, you weren't in yesterday. I had some, though. You I had a some. super tasty, um, the biscotti one. Yeah. It was lovely and totally unconnected to my illness. The speculoos one. Yes, that's true. The, the, the blondies <laughs> did not poison Kay. This is crucial. She was there beforehand. Uh, but yes, it was one with a hippo on it, which I think was sort of kinder related. I very much enjoyed the uh, sort of like, it was like a bakewell one with sort of jammy, almondy, mm. raspberry stuff in it. That was very, very nice. And there was a millionaire's thing in there as well, which we scoffed, uh, well, when you went here yesterday. People were very jealous, actually, when we um, opened them up. I saw people eyeing them up. We were like, no, just for us. But also we should point out that Craig, the chief whisk of Cray Bakes, has volunteered to judge the great Pilot TV Bake Off at the live show uh, on the 19th of August. I feel very nervous about this suddenly. I was nervous anyway about baking because, as you know, I'm a, a bake off virgin. Baker? <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I've only done it once, right? right? A cake, crucially boiled. I have used the oven before. That's not um, how virginity but- works, but carry on. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Um, but, um, now having an actual proper baker judge yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, this is more terrifying than Paul Hollywood. It frankly. is. It's going to be exactly like that. He's going to be, he's going to be, oh, it's, it's a little bit claggy, boy, a little bit claggy. It's like, okay, I, you know, didn't whisk it properly. It's going to be a blind bake, right? So he's, he's not going to know. We've got yeah. to put them on plates. Yeah. Oh, hang on, hang on. So, yeah. hang on. We're shifting the rules already. We haven't even done this. We're shifting the rules. So, so well, I is, mean, that, is that how it's done in yes. Bake Off? Well, that's do, one of the do... rounds. That, but that, this, is, this is more the equivalent of a round where they do... Well, because the blind bake, they're baking the same thing, aren't they? On Bake Off, whereas we're yeah. doing are, different things. Yeah, this is- I, I think I don't think they have to be blind, unless you think they have an inherent bias. <laughs> yeah. I think we should do a mashup of the Bake Off rules, and I th- think we should bake it different things, and then they should be put on plates with an ABC, and he judges them like that because he might have a. You know, a bias. I mean, obviously, I will win if he knows that it's my I cake, mean, clearly. So, exactly. if, he, if he's going to have any bias, my guess is he's have a bias against annoying, bald, middle-aged guys. So, you so, know. so Kay will win, is what you're saying? Yeah, I right. don't okay. think you should worry about that. That is the hope. Too right, much. We'll see. We will yeah. see. Well, Craig, prepare yourself. I hope Craig's bought his ticket. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem. So, <laughs> I mean, if he's going to hold on. If he's gonna, if the poor guy's gonna have to judge our baking, you could yeah, give him a free ticket. A complimentary yeah. ticket. I, I feel we're paying him in cake. Like he's getting, he's oh getting our James, baked you goods. Type, yeah. James, you type bastard. You can't, you can't pay for that kind of opportunity to have okay, us Craig, bake for him. No, Craig. For the record, Boyd and I both want you to have a free ticket. Yeah. James is staunchly <laughs> yeah. against it, and therefore you should give us more points. When I'll you start pay for the baked. free ticket if you want to be that tight-fisted, James. Oh, Boyd, in these times. In these times of the cost of living crisis and high interest rates, right. and the Pilot TV Plus subscription mm-hmm. going up yeah, a bit, which that's is true. fair enough. That's, Inflation, that's, that's 8%. the least. That's the least uh, unfair of all of these rises, <laughs> price rises. To be fair, um, I am willing to pay myself for Craig to judge. Come along, Gosh, Boydie do you know what, Boyd? We'll what a man! Yes, okay. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah. I mean, that's just the heart, heart rolls, isn't it, when you've got our fascist leader in charge? Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, uh, let's let's move on from fascism to what we've been watching and what, indeed, have we been watching this week? So I'll, I've been watching There She Goes, which Boyd has already talked about, um, because I think you, you hosted the event, didn't you, with David yes. Tennant and Jessica Hines? Yes. And um, I finally caught up in it because I've seen the previous two series and I just have to echo Boyd and just say it is it is. Incredible. It's so good. And I just think particularly Miley Locke, who plays Rosie, who isn't learning disabled in any, you know, that, I, that's what I find so astonishing. She gives such a convincing performance. All of them do. They're obviously, they're all great, fantastic actors. But yeah, I'm just kind of really bowled over by Miley. So I've been watching that. Um, and getting very emotional at that. And then the other side of the spectrum, I've been watching And Just Like That. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah. So I've watched uh, three episodes. And what I would say is I'm now watching out of loyalty and nostalgia for the show. Um, but I do think the new characters of Seema played by, what's her name? Sarita Chowdhury. She is the she is the best thing about the whole show because, yeah, there are some other elements, particularly the character of Che, who I took against in the first season anyway because I didn't think she's funny and she's going to be she a stand-up the comic. Radio host, podcast person. Yeah, the one from Grey's she's Anatomy. James. She's meant to be funny. She's meant to be a comic. Yet nothing that comes out of her mouth ever makes me laugh. I only watched one episode, but I very strongly felt that to be the case. Yes. Yeah. So, is she um, the one who? Is she the one who um, sees Tony Danza in the episode that I watched last night? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He plays her dad. Right. Um. So yeah, it's it's not great if I'm honest, but I will stick with it just because you know. And I want to see I want to see Kim Cattrall's return. Oh, yeah, I watched it last night. I watched the uh, the couple the first couple of episodes, and yeah, it's an interesting one. It's still kind of pleasurable to be in the company of the core four, isn't it? I mean, the three, sorry, the three minus Kim Cattrall. They're they're still really good, but yeah, it is the the supporting the, the new supporting characters. The the one you like is she the one who went into the hairdresser and then got annoyed yeah. with him? On, yeah, she's good. Yeah, she's funny. She's like a massive diva. Yeah, yeah, she's sort of like a um, Samantha character. Yeah, yes, she's the kind of clear but Samantha. I have to say that opening episode when it first began. I mean, we can talk about it, right? Because everyone, well, it's been on now. But like, there's an opening montage of various sort of like um, sexy scenes. Yes, and I was just like. As soon as that started, Whoa. I was like, no, 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 no. Let's not do that. I mean, not because like Sex and City obviously is full of sex and stuff like that, but it was just very cheesy montages of various, like all of the women basically trying to seduce their men. I was like, mm, I don't mm. think this is a thing. Yeah. What do you sim- think? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was awkward. Yeah. And somehow, because remember they did, they did a similar thing on sexual education, didn't they? I think series. Yeah. One of the series two, maybe or yeah, started with a big sex montage thing, but, but I that think, was better. Yeah, it was much better. Yeah, it was much more kind of. It, I don't know. It was just funnier. Um, this felt very forced, and it yes. just felt like okay, yes. we are Sex and City. We will open this up with a montage of various states. You know, like yeah, acts of seduction, which actually weren't that. You know, seductive. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, um, I have been watching. We we watched the wrong um, show on Sky Sci-Fi. James, you picked the wrong show. So we did the art, right? We did. And I, I can only continue to apologise for that. <laughs> deeply, deeply mediocre. In fact, worse than mediocre, it was, it it was, was bad. shit. It was just it was bad. bad. Yeah. yeah. But there's another show on Sky Sci-Fi. Is there? I discovered. Yes. Called The Swarm. I don't know anything about this. Huh. Yes. The Is it Swarm. about bees? No. 
So not to be confused with the famously terrible 1970s disaster movie, The Swarm, which right. was about bees and starred Michael Caine in one of his worst ever roles. And it's a genuinely terrible film. Did Michael, um, pay, did Michael Caine play a bee? No. No, I believe he played like some kind of scientist grappling with the bees, coming up with a way of, of dealing with the bees. The bee. This is the swarm. In this case, are underwater worms. Okay. What? Yes, um, and they are causing havoc. I mean, you don't find out they're underwater worms until right. I mean, you spoiled it. Excellent. Well, no, I mean like episode two. I think maybe. Right. In fact, that's everyone, the- Boyd has ruined the swarm. Don't watch it. Oh my god. Oh dear, you're going to get hate mail. I, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to deal with it. Anyway, this is like a global. It, it covers all the. It's very high production values. It's. I think it's a, originates in Germany. It's like a kind of European co-production with various um, companies including Sky, I guess. But it kind of goes from like Scotland, the coast of Scotland to Canada, to all different kind of places around the world. And basically, the the way this this swarm thing is affecting the world is that like suddenly like massive schools of whales, um, you know, as in like, you know, killer orcas gather in the ocean and get attacked by these things. And it causes huge kind of... Um, wait, wait, big, wait. Yeah. Wait, yeah. the whales get attacked by the worms. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm simplifying the I situation. Mean, You're not selling it brilliantly. Boy, no, this sounds shit. <laughs> All you need to know is, if you like a disaster movie like I do, as I've said many times before yeah. on this thing, this is classic disaster movie, but, but played out in, in a seven, eight episode. When did it begin? Uh, we mean it like when did it arrive on Sky? So I find. Well, no, specifically, why did we miss it? Like you know, as oh, in what we was. I, I think it was like about three or four weeks ago. Four weeks ago, maybe. Oh, I think okay. it was a busy week. I think and it just, just got lost in the. I don't think Sky particularly told um, us anyone to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of thought, oh, what's that thing called the Swarm? The reason I, I kind of spotted it because I was thinking, no, that's not. That can't be. There's also another thing called Swarm. Yes. Which is arriving with Donald Glover, which is which arriving, is I think it's yeah. soon, which is different, right? That's more of like a horror type of thing. No worms so, in that one. No worms, as far as I'm aware. But honestly, this show, The Swarm, and I think it's only on if free on Sky Sci-Fi for the next week or so, maybe. Um, and then I think they're going to start charging people to watch it, basically, as they sometimes do. Okay. So catch it while you can. If you're into, if it, it is mad. But it's also very entertaining, but also very slick. Unlike that terrible The Ark, this yes, is the slick, arc, yes. <laughs> well made, well fit, well shot, well acted. How big are the worms? Are they big, gigantic well, they, they get CGI bigger. worms? No, 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 no. There's, it's more like there's swarms of them. There's loads of them, and they do get bigger and bigger. I, I haven't finished the whole series yet, by the way. I've still got a few, few episodes to go, so I'm not sure myself how big they're going to get. To be honest, they could <laughs> they could become like really sandworms big. from Dune. Yeah, it could yeah. be Dune style. But I'm very much enjoying it. Is the bottom line. And if you like that kind of thing, it is quite pulpy and, you know, kind of over the top, but in a fun way, much more fun than The Ark. Than The Ark, yes. Again, yeah, so- my apologies for that. <laughs> That's okay. That's so, now yeah. the benchmark for everything. It is. It is. I mean, it's actually really good because I've artificially now set the bar so low that anything I show Kay from now, she'll be like, you know what, this is all right. <laughs> mm, actually, that has happened so far with that Seth MacFarlane one. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I was we like, did this that is with better the than The Ark. The Orville, me. which we covered last week on Pilot Plus, for those who don't know. Um, can I just say, so I've watched a lot this week. <gasps> I've been catching up. I've been Ooh. catching up, making up for last time. I've watched Jack. Ryan can't talk about it it's embargoed I've watched both parts A and B of the new season the third season of The Witcher it's embargoed can't talk about it I've watched Foundation or at least started Foundation it's embargoed can't talk about it that's a shame uh, 
<laughs> I have watched all the foundation. I've begun it. I have not finished it. I only watched a couple of episodes. But the one thing I can talk about is I finished His Dark Materials, which, what? yes, you'd be right in saying it's taken me some time to get to, but I realized looking at that I hadn't finished it. And I was like, oh, I must finish His Dark Materials. So I watched the end of the third and final season of His Dark Materials and very much enjoyed it, not least of all because way, way, way back when, when I read the Philip Pullman books, I only ever read the first two and I never read the third one. So I had no idea how this story ended. So this was all new stuff to me. And uh, and I really liked it. It was good. Wow. I so mean, I, I definitely wasn't expecting that. Uh, yeah. You know, you His Dark Materials. Continue. All the previous <laughs> things I was totally expecting. Yeah. The yeah, Witcher yeah, yeah. Foundation. But yep. to finish, I think I did finish it myself um, when it went out. So yeah, it was good. It was a really, good, really they yeah. did a really good job with that show. Jack it was Gorn. bold. It was lavish. It was slick. It was all of these things. Uh, no, I, yeah, I thought they did a very good job with the whole thing. I mean, obviously, Lyra ages by about like seven years during the course of the show, or mm. at least looks to. I don't think she actually aged by seven years, but she suddenly, if you look at her from from the first episode and then the last episode, it looks like there's a decade between them. Um, but you know, other than that, I thought uh, I thought it was great. And I should mention for those of you like Kay who are mortified that I cannot go into excruciating detail on mm. both Jack Ryan and The Witcher, you would we, please we know we've we've got support group don't you worry about that oh, oh you don't need a support group okay because this week's pilot plus is gonna be all jack ryan oh, all which are end to end because both embargoes will have lifted and we're gonna get into both of those shows there yes which means k gets to watch the witcher i don't remember the planning discussion for this uh... oh boyd boyd this isn't a democratic process <laughs> hey, i mean no. i mentioned it on that? the chat i said on the chat and k i even gave you the option of watching one or the other so you pick jack ryan you can pick the witcher obviously you That's should clearly big, watch both but Generous. i think you should watch the witcher because i think we'll make for a much more entertaining discussion i'm not here as your entertainment james i beg I also, to differ i beg I just, to differ <laughs> i also want to watch some quality boyd which one do you i trust boyd more than oh, you obviously you've seen both of them haven't you not the new I think Jack Ryan. Have you, you seen think? New Witcher? Oh, I've seen the first episode, yeah. Or yes. well, first two, however many they showed us, yeah. 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 Um, that's true. Um, well, The Witcher's going to be very compl- complicated and confusing if they don't mm. do a full recap lasting about 20 minutes, whereas Jack Ryan, I, can, you can just pick it up. No, no, I would argue that both of those things really? are true. I, in oh. fact, if you were to... Uh, if you were to, uh, mm, Yeah, without uh, dicing with the embargo, I would say I'm not sure. If you were to ask me which one would be less accessible for Kay, I couldn't easily answer really? that question yes but they're all, but the ones in the witcher are all called Geralt von Blubber and the, <laughs> at least the Jack Ryan how, how are you spelling that <laughs> EA umlaut Y it's true they do have normal names I will yeah. give you they have normal yeah. names yeah <laughs> I'm already uh, getting irritated by it James yeah 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 it's gonna be fantastic but anyway we'll cover that on this week's pilot plus uh, before we continue with this particular podcast though I think it's time for our first guest which ironically we're gonna have to end this podcast in a timely fashion so that Boyd can do this interview because it has not yet happened. So I'm going to say this interview went really, really well, unless it didn't. But uh, this is Candice Carty-Williams. She's the creator of this week's champion, uh, writer and creator of this eight-part BBC series about a pair of siblings, Bosco and Vita Champion, who develop, shall we say, a keen musical rivalry that splits their family. Uh, and Boyd sat down, or Will sat down, or is in the process of sitting down. This is like Schrodinger's interview. <laughs> we don't know whether it's alive or dead. Uh, but uh, he may sit down, will sit down, has sat down with Candice to talk all about her debut original TV project. Welcome, Candice Carty-Williams, to the Pilot TV podcast. How's it going? Uh, it's all good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. The last time I saw you um, on, on the Zoom situation was when we were both mm. judges at the BAFTA TV Awards for Best Actor. 
Did you? Yes. How, how did you enjoy that experience? Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I always go into these things thinking I want to be really shy and not say anything. But when I'm really passionate about something, it kind of trumps everything. Um, so I was really, really, yeah, I liked it a lot. Did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, because also we were yeah. on with like proper actors, weren't we? Who kind yeah. of, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. They really knew what what it meant to be an actor, I think. Right, the ins and outs. It was very intense, but I learned a lot. I learned yeah, a lot. Yeah, same, same. Now, the, that's not the reason you're joining us though today. You're joining us because you have created this new um, BBC TV series champion, BBC and Netflix TV series champion, which is your first, you're known as an award-winning, fantastic novelist, but this is your first original TV drama. Now, that is a huge thing, isn't it, to take on? Not only are you creating your own TV drama, it's set in the music business, it's set, mm. which is a very specific world. It has actual yeah. music created for the the characters involved who perform this music. All of this, that's mm. a lot to tackle. But did you kind of go into it thinking, yep, yeah, this is going to be fine. I can do all this. It's going to be great. Do you know what? I think because I'm so obsessed with music, I was like, if I'm same with, with writing with stories, my thing is that if I love something and I respect it and I care about it, I can do it. And so I went into it being like, if I, you know, if it was about like jazz, for example, I'd be like, I think this is for someone else to do. But because it was about UK road rap, it was about grime, about drill, about neo soul, R&B. I was like, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this. I've been doing music as a thing that I love for, you know, all of my life. So I was like, if I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to learn and work with people who know exactly what's going on, it's going to be all right. And it was. It absolutely was, yeah, t- totally. Because <laughs> authenticity is the key, isn't it? Like, you, you know, kind of, I guess, so your interest and knowledge of that scene, is that, did you do extra research as well? Did you meet, you know, real life people who are involved in that world, you know, musicians, or did you kind of just write the script yourself and thought, this, no, this is, I know what it's about, this is what I'll do? Well, funnily, um, my beginnings of writing were in uh, music journalism. So uh, my first and sort of longest placement was at Pop Justice, uh, run wow. by Peter Robinson. Yes. Um, and so actually pop music is kind of like very much my bag. So I like kind of, that's kind of like the base level um, of what I was doing. And so I knew a lot about the world. I knew a lot about how it worked. I have a lot of friends who are musicians, music journalists. You know, you just kind of piece these things together. And so, yes, we did re- we did research in the writers' room. We got a lot of musicians in to talk about their experiences. We got managers in. We got label representatives in, and kind of made them sign these huge NDAs and just like tell us everything you know. Um, and so we got a lot of intel that way. So in all eight episodes of Champion, anything that you see is not too far from the truth. And there's a lot of stuff that we kind of were like, if we if we write this thing that we know has happened, people won't believe it. It's too ridiculous. So we did our research and we we learned some we learned some really sad things. We learned some really sad things, some really amazing things, but also some really shocking things. Because yeah, that's really interesting because because I guess one of the fascinating things about the whole show that is you, you've got these two these two siblings um who mm. are kind of have a fascinating relationship with each other, with their mother, etc. Um but yeah, you you're tackling, you know, the, the guy, the main star has anxiety issues, which I think you see in mm-hmm. the very first scene, which I thought was fascinating mm-hmm. to start with that is a really kind of interesting, bold move. Is that something that you want to, wanted to place up front right from the start? Yes, for sure. So mental health, uh, if anyone has read Queenie, that's one of the things that I'm really concerned with. I always 
I've always been really interested in mental health and how it affects the black community, how it affects women in Queenie, but also how it affects men in, in Champion and how it affects a musician and what that looks like and how actually we get to go behind the scenes of uh, this man who's about to come out on stage in front of thousands of people and perform and have what looks like the time of his life. But uh, we also know that you know, there are such undertones to that. And we never think about, I don't think in the, the music industry, never really thinks about how people are feeling and what they can and can't do. Louis Capaldi is a very interesting example. He is not a black man, but I've also watched his documentary and seen what he's going through. And it's like, if you are not underrepresented in that industry and you're being treated like that, what happens when you are the minority in the music industry, but obviously not in the, you know, in the urban music industry, because, you know, it's thinking about, you know, who has the positions of power in that and who is looked after and who is not. Midway through the first episode, there's this scene where the police arrive. It's it's a celebration of, um, of, his, of Mike Harris' birthday. And yeah. then very shot, that was so brilliantly handled, um, the way it was directed, the way it was shot. And it's a sudden. It, it's so sudden that you almost don't have time to work <laughs> out what's going on. And as a dramatization of, you know, police racism, let's face it, and what these characters have to deal with on a daily basis. Mm. That if if white people don't have to deal with on a daily basis, similar way, it's such an effect. Mm-hmm. When did you come up with the idea of that scene, and why was it important for you to show, particularly the police involved in that situation? Well, I think I see a lot of, I mean, a lot of this stuff as well, it's based on what I've seen. So it's also, I've seen rappers be disproportionately targeted. They're just on their way to venues and they are stopped and searched, which is amazing. And also when they are in music venues, they're about to do their shows, the police come huge police presence. So they always have the police as this force kind of closing in on them all the time, whether they are convicted, whether they're charged, whether there's an allegation, anything, it's kind of like anything really goes you know, in the in the simplest terms, it's really unfair and it's really affecting. And having this be at this character's birthday party, he is having a celebration with his family and friends. Everyone is having a good time. And the police knock his mum's gates off the hinges because they're going to arrest him for a noise disturbance. You know, and it's like these things happen again. As I say, like a lot of the stuff in Champion is stranger than fiction, but it happens in in real life. And so that comment on the police and how people are treated, it really is about just being like, look at the effects it has. You know, you see in the paper, you see on social media, but also look at look at what it's like when someone is just with their family, trying to put everything past them and this is what they have to this is what they have to deal with so it's a really powerful scene it was really painful to to film and uh for Malcolm who plays Bosco he was also so affected by it and we had to really look after him after that scene because it was hard but also it's not too far from the lives of him the people he knows you know the world that's that's mm-hmm. how it that's how it's going still yeah i mean the injustice is so palpable in that scene that's the thing that that's what it's that's what is so powerful and I, can, I can imagine that you need to i mean and the mother is so fantastic in that as well nadine marshall nadine marshall, nadine marshall. yeah she formidable and um, formidable but also that at the end that was ad-libbed her entire response to oh, it wow was ad-libbed and it was just her stepping inside of that character and feeling what would would be felt and she just did we were all kind of awestruck we were all kind of i don't think even when it was like time to cut we were all just kind of blinking and it's interesting her relationship with vita so her relationship with her daughter because you do this is such a series of, of interesting fully rounded characters but the way she treats her daughter is, is really unfair. I mean, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Mm. Certainly <laughs> to start with. And again, that feels like a kind of very interesting observation you make that, that a mother, as brilliant as she is, 
would be would treat her her daughter and her son differently in quite a fundamentally mm-hmm. unfair way as far as Vita the daughter's concerned. Where did that yeah. idea come from that you wanted to explore that? Well, that idea came from sort of just being a woman in a in a family. And I remember in a, in a Black Caribbean family, and I remember when I was really young, I remember watching my nan cooking dinner. And she served my granddad first and I re- he'd been watching TV. And I said to her when I was maybe like seven, why have you given him his food first? You've been doing everything. And she was like, that's just the way it is. Bosco is the golden boy of that family. He is also the golden goose in that like, he is the person who's been bringing the money in. But Maria doesn't take any of that money. Her thing is making sure that her son is okay. And her thing is I'm caring so much about my son that I'm not caring about what my daughter needs. And I'm not caring. We're all here to make sure that the son is okay. Um, and you see it time and time again. And I will always write things that I see, that I have observed, that I don't think are quite okay. And that I'd like people to talk about and think about. Um, and with this one, I'm interested in how much trouble I might get into uh, for saying that. But I do think it's true. And I believe it's true. And a lot of my, you know, the screening uh, was a couple of days ago. And so many of my friends have been like, yo, that's me and my brother. That's that's what it's like. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know. And I have stepbrothers and I have half-brothers and, you know, it's it's all there. It's it's all there. Let's talk about the casting because I'd say not only have you, did you have to find people who could act convincingly depict these these emotions and the whole we run through the whole gamut of emotions. They also had to be able to perform your lead character, yes. sing, convincingly. Yes. I mean, how difficult was it to find those <laughs> cast members? Uh, how difficult was it? So it was really interesting in terms of uh, in terms of Bosco. That was the one that I was kind of like, this guy has to carry an incredible arc, really intense emotional scenes. This uh, this outpouring of his anxiety, of his pain that he's never been able to experience, you know, openly before. But he also has to be able to rap really well. And I was like, ha ha, I think we need to find a musician who can do this. We saw a lot of musicians tapes and I was like, they're really good. They're really good. Their music is really good. But also in terms of places that we needed Bosco to go, we were never quite there. We did find someone who was really, really, really amazing. But my thing was like, he's a, he just doesn't really carry that darkness I think well I think he's you know he's really good but he also feels like he's kind of had like a kind of fun nice life and that's coming out in the work the producer said oh hey I worked with Malcolm Camulete on 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 a a short film I did I don't think he's got an agent or anything do you want to look at his tape and I was like oh oh um I really I really I really think that you know we have to we have to push on with with this casting but I was like it's Malcolm. He was in Top Boy. He was incredible. I'm going to give him a go. And I watched two seconds. I said, okay, it's him. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. And I was so glad that I was like, let me just give it a second. Let me give it a go. But he is amazing. His, his, the way that his mind works is amazing. And Getz wrote his songs for him. He wrote the songs for, for Bosco. And he would send up, Getz would send over a song. I'd send it to Malcolm. And Malcolm would send me back less than five minutes later a word bar perfect replication of what gets it done. He was incredible. The way his mind works is astonishing. And so, yeah, that was that. And then for Vita, we saw so many, so many, so many, so many girls. And again, I was like, it needs to be someone who is a really, really great singer, but also someone who can carry that and who can be this person who is so small, but can be so fierce and can grow and can do this thing where at the end of series one, she says to her brother, do you know what? It's me and you now. I was like, who is this person going to be? And we looked and we looked and we looked. And eventually we did like a sort of 
kind of close to final round of, of reads. And there was this girl who was, I didn't even realize she was coming to audition because she was there with a suitcase in the casting, in the, in the casting office. And I said, hi, what's the suitcase about? And she was like, oh, um, I'm here to audition. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do hair after this. I've got all of my kit to do like hair, people's hair and the thing. And I was like, yeah, no, that's her. I was just like, yes, they need to be able to do the, the music. But again, it's about like having faith in, in, you know, it's about being like, you're the character. So Deja's like side hustle in the sequence yeah. that helped get her the role. That's brilliant. Literally, yeah. And as well, because you are the showrunner of this show, you know, aren't you? And and so you're, you're producing it, you're creating it, etc. So you're also picking, I guess, the directors because you also have got a, a, a series of young Black British directors working on this show. How did you find them, and how did you kind of work out that they would work? Uh, so it was looking at people's work first of all. Because obviously, like, you know, you don't know the person, you get to see the work, but then you, so you watch their short films, you watch what they've done before, and you're kind of like, okay, does this, does this gel with my eye for the show? Does it gel with my eye, my style? And then you talk to them. And basically my question was always like, uh, how do you feel about collaboration? Because it's one of those things where show running is a kind of, it's kind of an American thing. It's not necessary. And like Jesse Armstrong does it obviously for Succession, which is an American show. So it's yeah. kind of like, we don't really have it here. Shonda Rhimes, obviously, is, but again, American. So you're like, okay, in terms of like a British showrunner, what does that mean? Um, so my thing is about collaboration, also kind of being like, you have to know that people are going to be irritated with you because, you know, it's just kind of looking at these people and being like, okay, chatting to them and being like, so what So what does it feel like when I might have to come and, and, and ask you things um, on set? And it's just, it's just judging that, but, you know, they were all very... Everyone had a very different way of working, but ultimately I was like, the style of things is what's important to me. And they each brought something really special. Um, and yeah, as I say, it was my job to just be like, okay, is this all going to make sense? But also being like, it's really important to look at the talent and I guess the, you know, the, the, we don't have enough still black British directorial talent in the UK. Um, but I think we found some really amazing, we found some really incredible people and, you know, looking at these episodes and looking at the journey that they went on, I think like episode one, especially for me, just seeing some of John's work. So John Ogunmiwa, the first block director, some of his scenes are so beautiful. You know, some of the way that he, he ways that he looks at color and light are so remarkable. And then for uh, episode six, we were filming in Jamaica. And Caleb Femi was the director and I'd loved his work. He's a poet and a writer and a director and I'd loved his work. I love how he does things with light and with colour and with tone and with feeling. And he said to me, I need to sit next to you every single day. I need you to be with me every day because you were the architect and I need to figure out what ha what happens from you, from your brain. Filming in Jamaica was its own thing. Everything looks absolutely incredible just because we're in Jamaica. Everything is different. You know, everything is gorgeous. Um, and that landscape became a character of its own, you know? It's hard work, of course, being like, okay, so there are four different people and we need to stick to one vision. You know, I'm very exacting and I'm, I'm not afraid of, of getting into getting into it. Mm. Um, at, the, really, at the BFI, you described yourself as a control freak. Do you do you think you have to be in this kind of situation? You do. You have to be a control freak, and you have to back yourself. You have to be like, yeah, no, no, I'm standing in front of you for a reason. And I, uh, as a black woman, that has definitely been something. It's definitely been something to stand in front of um, every single type of person and be like, yeah, I know that you're not expecting me to be here and to to be the boss, but. Mm. Um, 
I am. But, you know, it's also about being nice. And it's also about being like, what are we all going through? And what are we all feeling? And I like communication. Um, and that's important. And I think by the end, all of the directors understood that, yeah, we're going to communicate. We're not going to just have like, we're not going to argue, but we're going to communicate and we're going to get this done. What was the hardest challenge for you for the whole making the whole series? The hardest challenge? The hardest challenge, I think, I mean, it's kind of the general sort of, you're a novelist with yourself in your room and then you're running a show where you're talking to sometimes like a hundred people a day. I am shy. I am, uh, quite quiet. I, I obviously I'm doing a podcast with you, but a lot of the time when it comes to sort of everything else, I, I, I listen more than I talk. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of just being like, okay, you know, talk and talk to a hundred people and be like, hello, how are you today? When actually you've spent a lot of time in your room, just being like, how do you feel in yourself? And then suddenly being like, oh, a million people have a million problems. How do we solve it? Um, and so that was a challenge, but also the music, my goodness, the music, what a thing, incredible music. I am super excited about it. A soundtrack is coming. Um, we're going to announce that very soon because it's with an incredible label. Like it's like my dreams have come true, but it was being like, how do we start with nothing and end up with sort of three songs, an episode, three good songs, three songs that were written by people that we are all amazed by in awe of. Gets is incredible. Like I, the first meeting that we had with him, I was like, I couldn't, but I was hearing him be like, yeah, no, I relate to him. I like, I like Bosco's cool. I was like, am I dreaming? Is this a, what is what I've died and gone to heaven? And then working with new talent. So a singer called Debbie wrote all of Vita songs, but also working with Shola Amma, Shola Amma and wow. Toddler T. It was like, what's it? It was basically just like, what's the shopping list of the things that I love? Um, and working with an amazing music team, uh, working with us, Hattie Collins who is just like a legend in the game Kat Greaves who's like an award-winning uh, music supervisor who you know had gone you know Killing Eve amazing work she'd been like okay so how do we you know find the best songs for this suddenly I was like Kat you need to call up Millions' manager and find out where that song is and she was she would just be like yeah I'm on it I've done it we were all just doing things we've never done before we were all just making music we were all being A&Rs and we were just like we were meant to make a TV show but suddenly we're like in Gets the Studio in like the middle of nowhere being like, hi, so basically what we'd love to, to see from this song is, do you know what I mean? Like oh, it was that like, was amazing. Yeah. Um, and then like in Jamaica, going to like big yard studios at like three o'clock in the morning because we couldn't find the files and then like banging on the door and like climbing over the fence and just like running around after like, I, oh, honestly, I've done, I could do anything now that I've done champion, like right. anything in the world. And right. so yeah, it sounds it, like the it, making of the show would end up, would it would be a brilliant kind of work in itself. Like to oh see. My gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly like a TV show. It's like a TV show in itself of all of us trying to get it done, but the music was difficult, but the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. I think the whole, the whole show is, I think it's so rewarding in so many ways and I watch it and I am super proud and super, super, I'm super happy with it. Oh, I mean, you should be. It's a fantastic watch. Thank so you it's, so it's, much. it's brilliant. Thank you so much, Kendi, for joining us. And congratulations. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a hugely um, entertaining show. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Boyd. That may or may not have been Boyd and <laughs> Candace Carty-Williams. It's hard to say at this stage. Uh, but let's move on to this week's listener question, which we are going to tackle in a very timely fashion again, because we are pressed for time this week. This comes from Maverick. And Maverick says... 
There's been a few podcasts turned into TV shows with mixed results, but I wondered if you think it's a good idea and if there are any podcasts you listen to that would make great TV shows. I've been listening to a few lately that would be interesting TV shows like Scamander and A Very British Cult. Uh, there have, in fact, been quite a few of these, haven't they, podcasts which have turned into TV shows. And this rather neatly taps into a conversation we had on last week's Pilot Plus when we pitched to ITVX the pilot TV show, uh, <laughs> which is based on this very, very podcast. Uh, I haven't heard from ITV yet. I'm not sure why. I suspect there's been some kind of email server issue, which is why I've not had their offers for the rights to that show. But I have a spin on this which I'm going to share with you at the end of this question. But but, but mm-hmm. guys, do you have any particular podcast you listen to that you would like to see adapted for the screen? I'm just going to say that the one that came to mind, if, if, if correspondent, what's his name again? Maverick. 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 Hadn't mentioned it is a very British cult because that is the podcast. That's also a TV series, by the way, a brilliant TV, which I think I might mention on this podcast. Hopefully I did when it went out um, a couple of months ago. And this is an absolutely riveting and scary story of this organization known as the Lighthouse, as Lighthouse. And they kind of threw mentoring programs and kind of, you know, um, like training, psychological training things. And um, it was just, it's just this, uh, and then basically people ended up, as they often do with these things, giving money to them and kind of get, getting them, isolating them, them from their friends and families, affected people's marriages. It's a really shocking gripping story so that i think would be perfect that is the one for me because i don't listen to that many i mean i listen to like you always get like um true crime podcasts you know there are loads of true crime podcasts mm. which almost any of them of any worth whatsoever do inevitably get brought up to be turned into a limited series um but i haven't heard that this one has been yet has done been yet very british cult and i think that's one of the most int- i'm obsessed with cults anyway religious cults and they they deny by the way they are a cult of course the lighthouse people but uh that is the most interesting one so that that is the one that he suggested i'm slightly cheating um but the other possibility of course is that Kay and i's favorite podcast the wolf for now which is mm. with um comedy podcasts with tom davis Big Tom Davis and Ramesh Ranganathan. They themselves, I believe, do you remember they said this, Kay, in one of the episodes, they were in talks to do a project together, like a film or something. And, you know, they could do like a limited series based on their escapades that they talk about in that podcast. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. That would be the dream. Yeah, that is the dream. That's the other one that comes to mind. Uh, we should say, like, in terms of ones that have already been made, Archive Eighty One, which you love, Boydie, that was based on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, Serial has had its uh, had had its true crime spin off as well from for the, for the screen. Yeah, the case against Adnan Ziad was oh, a yeah. uh, was a TV show. I love the podcast for that. Yeah. Yeah, Dirty John, Doctor Death, which we may or may not have reviewed in the past. Uh, that was based on a podcast. The Dropout, Gaslit, Homecoming, Limetown. Do you remember Limetown? That was also based on a podcast where the whole town basically vanishes. Uh, Shrink Next Door. We crashed. These are all based on podcasts. So I do not understand why Pilot TV could not be made into a podcast. Not podcast. It is a podcast. Why it could not be made <laughs> into a TV show and why ITVX will not send me that check for a million pounds that I asked for. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It no. makes no sense to me. Absolutely no, no sense to me Tumbleweed. at all. Tumbleweed. Yeah, no. exactly. See, the thing is, I mainly listen to, well, the main podcast I listen to at the moment is Ty and That Guy, which is obviously based, it's, it's a podcast around episodes of the expanse so that would be the snake eating its own <laughs> tail if they then made the expanse based or a show based on this podcast about the expanse that makes no sense at all and the west wing weekly was another one that i listened to uh very religiously oh, yeah, but again good. based on the west wing so you can't do that either um but in terms of original content podcasts i don't really listen to many of them i really like the guilty feminists and so not listen to it in a while but that doesn't really lend itself to a show i wouldn't think um i don't know 
I don't know. I don't. I don't have an answer for you. But luckily, I don't need an answer for you. And you know why that is? That is because ITV have been dragging their collective heels over licensing <laughs> our TV show again. ITV, sort yourselves out. But because they have, Darren, our editor, Darren, has uh, kicked things up a notch, what? and uh, he. <laughs> He uh, he's he started the uh, he's greased the wheels he's uh, got the ball rolling and what Darren did was he he called up a high powered content creator wait by which I mean ChatGPT uh, oh, cool. and he said to ChatGPT please can you give us oh, a God. pilot episode of the pilot TV TV show so ChatGPT has God. created a this teleplay for our first episode now we're pressed for time. So I'm not going to read it out to you here. So what we're going to do Surely is... Surely this should be a read-through at the live live event. No, no, no. This week's On this week's Pilot Plus, we are going to perform the first episode oh, of the Pilot TV show based on this screenplay that has been generated by AI. So I, Listen, if it means I don't have to watch a sci-fi show, I'm here for it. Okay, good. So, how so, long? How long is the um, this chat? It might be um, seven hours. I've no idea. No, I, I have. Mean, I've looked through it. It's manageable. It's manageable. It's doable. You know. You know. You can have your script. You don't need to learn your lines. Why don't Why don't we just do like ten minute installments? So like it's like a serial across all the mm. pluses. Yeah, it's not that long. But I mean, look, we can mix out. I could play K. K could play Boyd. Like you know, <laughs> it's the casting is open. I'm you know I'm 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 open to all. This options. is mind spangling. Yes, all of it. So yeah. this week's pilot plus. Tune in for the first episode of the Pilot TV TV show. It's going to be very, very exciting. I mean, that's worth the price rise alone. Right? Exactly that. Exactly that. Uh, If you would like your uh, letter read out, or indeed your screenplay acted out, do send them over to (laughs) us via DM on Instagram or Twitter at Pilot TV Pod, or to me directly, which frankly is far less hassle for me, uh, at James C. Dyer on Instagram. Let's move on. Uh, Should we talk news? I mean, I, I'll, I'll kick off news by saying this, that we've mentioned our AI-created TV show, so this will be a pot, kettle, black situation. But uh, did you see that the title sequence to Secret Invasion, which we reviewed last week, was created by AI? Oh, oh no. Was it? Yes, yes. Controversially, they announced this week, or, or last week as we go out, that they thought it would be thematically in keeping with the show and not knowing what is or is not real to have AI create the title sequence. Now... Yeah, you could you could say that during the midst of a strike and more strikes to come about the use of AI, they might have, I don't know, read the room a little bit. But no, no, there was a horrendous backlash to this announcement. People are up in arms and furious. And they are desperately trying to backpedal by saying, no, 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 you don't understand. We paid actual people to ask the AI to do it. So it's fine. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so they're trying to spin it by saying they haven't cut people out of the creative process. Artists have been paid. They've just, instead of being paid to design it, they've been paid to chat to chat GPT or whatever oh, and get that God. to do it. That's uh, not a thing. They need to no. not do that anymore. Yeah, they also, the title sequence looks like it's been created by AI. <laughs> um, but yeah. I can't so remember that was, what uh, the title sequence is. What is the title sequence? It's like Skrulls and Fury turning into a Skrull and or it's all, all like, right. it's lots of like weird changing imagery, but it has that slightly alien quality to the aesthetic in the same way that i don't know if you ever use mid journey or any of those ai created uh, uh sort no. of like image creation tools they have that thing like when they show you pictures of people occasionally they will give you a like they'll give you a picture of a person as if they've never seen a person but they've had one described to them and it has that quality to it it's like it's like you've heard of humans you're just not quite sure what they actually look like uh so yeah it, it does have a slightly weird quality i mean there's no sign of the pope in a puffer jacket unfortunately but uh other than that uh it, it, yeah it, it, it's quite scrolly. So yeah, so that was a thing that happened this week in the news. Uh, have you heard of anything else that's happened? Yes. 
So Harlan Coben's Shelter, which is the um, eight-episode series, is going to premiere globally on the 18th of August um, on Prime Video, which I'm excited Indeed. about because we love us some Harlan Coben. And also the other bit of exciting news, which Boyd actually might be going to talk about because it involves Doctor Who, is that Lenny Rush, who was in Daisy May Cooper's Am I Being Unreasonable, who is the fantastic child actor who won the BAFTA for, I think it was Best Male Performance. He's um, going to be in Doctor Who alongside Shuti Gatwa as a character called Morris, apparently, which I think is a fantastic casting. No, I mentioned that last week. I might not have done, but I can't remember when it went. Oh, okay. I don't think Maybe. so. Oh, okay. I meant to. But yeah, that oh. is right. That is right. We so. may or may not have mentioned it last week. <laughs> the casting, just general casting of Doctor Who, this this at the moment is just unbelievable. They they're really going for it with um, kind of constantly fascinating series of announcements <laughs> every other week, basically. Um, but yeah, that's one of the best bits of casting news, I think. You'd be furious in the Empire office this week if you've been there, Boydie, because Why? two people. And I'm not going to name them, Ben Travis, took against a secret invasion in a big way oh, really? and dropped the ultimate slur. He was like, it just looked like Doctor Who. And I was like, oh, <gasps> God. <laughs> he, was, he was not happy. These he wasn't youngsters happy. of today don't know when they're born, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean um, yeah, it looks great, as, is, as does Doctor Who these days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure. Fubar's coming back. Do you see this? Fubar has been yes. confirmed for second season. I don't know if we did talk about that last week. We might well have done. Uh, it's hard to say. But I no, we didn't. Back, I'm surprised back, back. at that. I'm a little surprised by that. But you know, you can never have too much, Arnie. I think. Uh, yeah. I think we've learned that. It must. I'm sure it's doing very well for the Netflix. I would. Think Talking so. of which, did you see that Netflix have updated their top ten charts to include estimated viewers in addition to hours viewed? So okay. they're now, yeah. So they're now telling us um, basically that they they estimate the num- people number of people watching a show by taking the traditional hours view that they provided f- before, divided that by the film or show's running time, total runtime. So um, basically, they're saying that Wednesday. By the way, Wednesday, you know that um, that series, <laughs> yes, is now the biggest hit in Netflix history. Were you aware of this? What? Yeah, More I was than, aware of um, this. Yes. What was the other? What was the other? Stranger, Stranger Things. Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Yeah. 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 The, Wednesday's Witcher, now, the Witcher was up there as well. Yeah. Wednesday is now number one with an estimated 252 million views in the first 61 days of Do you know availability. What? Do you know what? I love this estimated views. You know what? Yes. It's funny you should say that, Boyd. So I was actually going to tell you this recently. It's quite excited, and I think this should help people in their decision to subscribe to Pilot Plus. We have an estimated 3.6 million listeners to this podcast. You know that? <laughs> that is based well, on my new yeah. estimating <laughs> algorithm, which is entirely accurate and not entirely in any way pulled accurate. out of my yeah. 3.6 million people <laughs> listen to this podcast according to my estimations. Uh, absolutely, that makes total sense. Yeah. And as many good reviews, which means James is definitely going to be playing the guitar at the live event. Uh, if my finger's grown back by then, yeah, <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Oh yeah, I forgot about the finger. God. Um, the other, but the most interesting thing is really is to get the updated chart of their biggest hits of all time. And I will just give you the top kind of five, maybe top ten. Wednesday number one, two is Stranger Things, three is Dharma, the Jeffrey Dharma story, the third biggest Netflix show of all time. Bridgerton four, The Queen's Gambit is at five. Which is, uh, came as a some surprise to me. It's English language, by the way. The Night Agent is already at six. Remember the I mean, Night Agent? Honestly. Yeah. Really? I mean, and that's just Kay watching it for the hunky agent at the heart of it. Oh. Yeah. That's literally <laughs> yeah. all, of, even, all of no, it. Even I was like, yeah, shocked at that. And down at number nine is The Witcher. 
But to be fair, you know, I mean, it is number nine. That's pretty good for a hardcore, nerdy fantasy thing. Although, obviously, Game of Thrones did quite well as well at the time. And the top um, non-English languages, Squid Game, Money Heist, Lupin, uh, etc. But yeah, there you go. So that's a big Netflix story. And the other Netflix story, there's another Netflix story, which is interesting, another kind of businessy type. So that Ryan Murphy is leaving Netflix. Yes. You know, he signed that deal for like hundreds of millions of pounds five years ago, mm. and he's joining Disney. Um, so his all his, I mean, it's confusing anyway because he's all, he's made loads of stuff for Disney at basically FX with all his American horror story stuff, etc. But it means that he's now not doing How any stuff in Netflix that? at all. How could he have done that if he had a, an exclusive deal with Netflix? Well, it wasn't the, the deal specifically allowed him to carry on doing his pre-existing um, shows for FX. Yeah, I mean, it was astonishing. But I mean, he has made like ten or something different series for Netflix. So they've done kind of okay out of it. Um, and, but that, that, you know, and, and in fact, of course, the recent ones, like The Watcher did really well on Netflix and the Jeffrey Dahmer story, as I just mentioned. So they kind of it got, they, his stuff got more and more successful quite recently. But it's still interesting that he uh, is doing that. And there's one more, this is how all these are tied together. There's another story about how um, people are accusing Kim Kardashian, who is the star of his next American Horror Story series, currently filming in on, in New York at the moment. People accuse her of crossing the picket line for the writer's strike but uh, and, and accusing him of saying that if you didn't carry on working during the strike, because his shows are still in production somehow at the moment, but he's denying the he's asking anyone to break the picket line. So it's a bit it's a bit of a confusing situation. How can he be in production on his shows? How is Kim Kardashian mm. filming and not crossing the picket line? Is an interesting question. It's there definitely going to keep me up at night. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. James kind of studied going all glassy eyed when I mentioned Kim Kardashian. But I mean, she is acting in the in this right. I mean, I'm fascinated by this whole thing. We're going to have to come to grips James, with this. Have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, I'm I'm trying to pay more attention to you since uh, since someone like whenever we get uh, negative comments yes. on the on the on the I'm not going to bring okay. up the negative reviews we've had this week, but uh, one person accused us of just basically talking about and I quote unquote elite sci-fi, elite sci-fi. I don't I know what that. elite sci-fi like, is. Yes, out of the absolute drubbing review, <laughs> I love that's the element that you picked up. I mean, it's no, good because I don't choose to go over it. But I'm like, picking yeah. up on elite sci. I would put I would put it to you that we don't cover a lot of sci-fi on this podcast because you two don't let me. Like what? we cover them every oh, now and then. Oh my god, I don't James. think we oh cover that much. James, as if we do not have any more. way of controlling you in any way. <laughs> you just run roughshod over what we say None and of say, these "Oh, are true. we're going to do." Oh None of the, these things the, are true. The I'm shocked know. and appalled. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't, it's not even a question. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yes, you're right. He, he was completely wrong. <laughs> uh, but no, the the uh, review, of course, that Kay is referring to is uh, someone who mentioned that... <laughs> oh, God, horrific. Right, I, you know, I'm going to read out the key bit, oh, which is... No, the really? hosts don't listen to what each other say. Checking emails as the other people speak doesn't make for sparkling conversation. Sorry, that's that's basically me. No, but what I would say is sometimes when we're not listening, that is because like one of us is looking up something to yes. fact check or say a next yes. thing. Like, I mean, so, yeah. also... To be fair to us, I, I, I mean, I think it adds to the general, you know, um, joy, gaiety of nations, or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> that every now and then, James in particular, he, he drifts, he just drifts off a bit. If it's not one on one of his core ob subjects of interest. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, yeah. I'm, I jokingly say he's checking his emails. Mo most of the time, he actually isn't checking his emails. To be fair to him, he just gets a bit of a distant look in his eye. That's all. And that's what I yeah. jokingly, joshingly refer to as checking his emails. <laughs> so go. it's partly my go. fault that I've spread well, this calumny. But it isn't. I don't think it's actually true that he's that rude. And 
and um, but you're okay distracted. because Domorama for tis he slash she who left this review has many more complaints they wish to level at me too. James can't be bothered to watch some shows bracket <laughs> I mean, usually when they don't involve infantile fantasy slash sci-fi <laughs> elements. Ooh. Ooh, ow, I mean, come on. Come on, Domorama. I, I missed one show, like one solitary show, which is not bad when we've done nearly 250 episodes. Uh, so I think I can dodge that particular bit. But no, but no, he continues. He continues. <laughs> when he does watch them, he's been known to paint his ceiling as he does so. <laughs> not totally respectful to the programme makers. Now, look, look. No, I've got to, I've got to defend James right with this because that was one ceiling yeah and also how many times are like is this person not like checking their phone while they're watching something are they they glued to their TV and showing the shows the utmost respect that they deserve maybe people are always multitasking I mean admittedly people aren't often doing house (laughs) home decoration it was one week and the only shows I missed were Kunk on Earth and Karen Perry and I went and rewatched all of Karen Perry afterwards because it was brilliant I just missed bits of it because I was rolling the ceiling but did you go back and check that or you just knew that no I know that off the top of my head because I remember doing it in fact I almost remember the show better because I now associate them with painting the ceiling. Weirdly, <laughs> so, I remember you doing it during Kunk. Yeah, there you go. Because I'd missed the part where they, you know, like I was like, are they actors? Are they real? I think I'd missed a key oh, part yeah, of, that's of it. Right. And yeah, I got because I was painting the ceiling at the time, I'd yes. kind of missed uh, a key yes. part of it. But that's fine. That's fine. And I fessed up to it, which I thought was fine. All, all Kunk episodes now on Netflix, by the way, in case oh, people exciting. didn't know that. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. But the key part of this, the key part of this Domorama, which you are not seeing is that when the tv show comes this is going to make for brilliant content where there'll be an episode where i'm literally painting a ceiling and boyd and Kay are rolling their eyes it's gonna be it's gonna be great it's gonna be one of the best episodes it'd be like a it'd be like a banner nielsen ratings winner if you say so this person was not a fan ironically the person they love the most of the three of us understandably is uh boydo of course wow i mean what could the embodiment of elite (laughs) sci-fi yeah so anyway, thanks for the feedback. Yeah. Speaking of elite sci-fi, I think it's time to skip away from news, not least of all because we're running out of time, uh, and come on to this week's second guest. Now, as you will know, elite sci-fiist that I am, I've been banging about on about Star Trek Strange New Worlds quite a lot of late because I basically came late to that particular party. Anyway, anyway, excited as I was for this show, I hailed the Enterprise and had Anson Mount, Captain Christopher Pike himself, beamed into the pilot TV studio where he proceeded to paint my ceiling while watching a TV show. Uh, and, uh, and he chatted to me all about the new season two of strange new world so this is me talking to anson mount anson welcome to the pilot tv podcast uh i have to say over the last couple of months i have become borderline obsessed with strange new worlds uh but before i talk about that there is something i wanted to mention which is this so we used to have a section on this podcast where we would talk about in this era of peak tv of incredible shows coming to streaming shows that we thought were amazing but flew under the radar particularly in the uk and the one that i used to bring up quite a lot was Hell on Wheels, which is a phenomenal show, which over here aired on, I think, Turner Classic Movies, and no one in the UK seems to have heard of it, which is this huge injustice. (laughs) And so I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, is making a modern Western the most fun you can have in front of a camera? I had a tremendously good time. I mean, it's a a whole chapter of my life, was making Hell on Wheels. 
And I mean, in fact, at the end, during the, the shoot of the last episode, people kept asking me and I said, it's a chapter. Yeah. That's a chapter. And um, I'm very proud of the show that we made. Uh, I think it's a fascinating piece of history. It's one of those TV ideas that was just kind of floating out there in the ether and somebody was going to pluck it out of the air and, and do it. And the Gatons did. And thankfully, um, they wanted to hire an actual Southerner. Um, because, I mean, you should have seen the stack of headshots from Australian actors that, <laughs> you know, these days, the, if there's any role with testosterone, the casting directors just call Australians for some reason. I don't know what, I'm not really sure what that says about American men these days, but um, it was, I, yeah, I, I could not have done that job without having grown up in the South. Yeah. Uh, there is an entire... Um, and particularly having known, grown up in the rural South where I, I, a lot of my friends' fathers were Vietnam vets and dealing with PTSD, um, that was a very informative part of my childhood, it turns out. And, uh, you know, there's, there's an entire, uh, even the, the Southern sense of humor is a completely different one and, and the way of looking at the world. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, it was, I read that script and I was like, there, I, I, this is my role. Yeah. He's, he's a beautifully formed character, Bohannon. You get to ride horses and beat, there's not a soundstage in sight in that show that, as well. That was so. one of the best parts of the job was riding horses uh, because they are the best actors that you will ever work with. I'm, I'm being quite serious really? about that because every thought or emotion that a horse has is exhibited on their skin. Mm. They're so expressive when you learn how to read a horse and so reactionary. And, um, but there are things that, that you have to know about operating a horse on a set, which is completely different skill set than just riding a horse. You have to know things like you cannot, you do not open an umbrella around a horse. They don't like umbrellas. It's a little thing that becomes big very quickly. Ah, so stop. And yeah, you yeah. can startle a horse that way. Hoses. <laughs> it's a snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are a lot there are umbrellas and hoses everywhere on a on a set. Not ideal for a horse, clearly. No. Uh, not so bad for a Gorn, for example. And and if you can't do a Western, why not do a space western, which I guess is what Star Trek is, really, isn't it? Like it's a space western at heart. Um, which is I think why it appeals to so many people, why it's has so much longevity. But I do think Strange New Worlds is, I think it's fair to say, the best Trek on TV at the moment. I think it's even close. I think it's incredible. And I'm, like I say, I'm absolutely obsessed with it. But the reason I've only been obsessed with it recently is it took me a while to get around to watching it because the format is quite old-fashioned. You know, it's a, it's a adventure of the week. It's quite episodic. And we've become so used in the streaming era to kind of serialized storytelling. You know, I was a little worried that I'd be like, oh, you know, it feels too much like a procedure. I wasn't sure I'd get it. It wasn't until I watched it. I was like, there's a reason why Star Trek has persisted so long using that format. There's yes. a reason why it, because it's perfect for that kind of storytelling. Like when they pitched it to you and they said, look, it's going to be, it's going to be episodic. Were you like, yes, that's like classic Trek? Or were you like, okay, that's interesting? I brought it up. Oh, I, really? I, there, yeah. So for, first of all, look, I, my taste as a viewer is I like serialized sure. stuff, right? And I think that I think Discovery did very well with that format. Format, but to me, a classic Star Trek show um, it is a it's a it's not about Kirk, it's not about Picard, it's not about Pike. Uh, I'm not the star of the show. It's 
the Enterprise is the star show and it operates on a format of the planet of the week because the planet of the week is really, it's just the, the idea of the week. It's the big idea of the week. And you have to be able to get out of the way of that in order for the metaphorical platform to operate. And when you're trying to maintain eight times seven relationships every week, there's no room for that. So I brought it up and thankfully, um, Alex Kurtzman had already been thinking the same thing that it's going to be episodic in structure and, um, it's going to be a very loose, very malleable show. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even episodic as it is, so Discovery, and I won't throw shade at Discovery, I enjoy it as much as the next person, but even four seasons in, I'm not sure I could name every person on the bridge of that ship. And I felt after about four episodes of Strange New Worlds, I knew these characters, like I really knew them. And I think it does that thing where it may be episodic, but the character work is quite significant. Like the growth these characters go through during the season is actually really impressive. Like did that, was that something that jumped out when you saw the, the first season scripts? Yeah, definitely. I think the characters from the beginning were very well drawn. Uh, you could actually hear their tone mm. coming through the pages. Um, and it was, it's, it was very well cast with yeah. the rest of the, you know, we didn't know who we were going to end up working with. Uh, but I, they managed to, to to pull together a really talented group of of adults who like working together, and and I got to say the format also it it um it provides us the opportunity to play not only with a different story each week but um, a different way of getting there. And so we've we've been having lots and lots and lots of discussions about about genre just as a jumping off point yeah. to. to yeah, well, you say that, but I must admit, as as an actor, it must be really interesting because the variety you get is significant. So yeah. you've got the fantasy episode where you're kind of LARPing, which is yeah. hilarious. You've got the uh, the Gorn episode in the first season, which is like a straight-up horror with lashings of alien and predator in there. Yeah. So it feels like it gives you an opportunity to have massive amounts of variety yeah. while portraying the same character, right? It's almost like making a different TV show every week, yeah. which is tremendously exciting when you're doing long-form television. It's keeps you on your toes and also it's it it really it plays into that uh, i think all actors are are people who couldn't decide what they wanted to be when they grew up right <laughs> and so they found this thing that allowed them to be a jack of all trades yeah. in perpetuity so it really plays into that um and it's it's amazing to have a group of writers that's come to you and say, okay, give us ideas. Like, what genre have you never done before? What do you, what world do you want to be in? Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, because you've got comedy episodes, you've got much more somber episodes in there. I yeah. love the stuff that you do with Spock as well. Like, that's really funny. The kind of loads of comedy has been milked out of that character, which historically has not been the case with Spock. Yeah, uh, which I thought was 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 so much fun. Oh, Ethan's so great with comedy, man. Yeah. He is. And, and, and even it, it's tremendous to watch him do it while he is also playing such a corseted character. That's not easy to do. It's, it's amazing stuff. And like I said, the development is significant. I remember being on set of CSL Miami, which I believe you've done an episode of, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And the actors there were quite open about the fact that as actors, they found it quite thankless, like playing the same character. with two. And by design, those shows, they don't change because they need to be accessible. You need to be able to jump in at season five or 10 or whatever and pick it up as if you'd never seen any of the others. So they were like, you don't get any growth. Whereas this almost has the best of both worlds, uh, to use a Star Trek title. Uh, 
Because you have both. Like, you have this story of the week, but you also have characters who come such a long way. If you look at where, you know, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to give any spoilers away, but certain characters at the beginning of season two, and you look where they were at the beginning of season one, like, there's a significant difference yeah. to where they are. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's 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 great stuff. Now, you're, I mean, I think, Tim to call you've said before, you're a big reader of science fiction stuff. Is that yes, fair to say? Like, what are your What are your go-to science fiction authors, like, stories? I've been reading The Brits recently. Uh, I really like Adrian Tchaikovsky. I read mm. him on the set quite a lot, and I actually reached out to him on on Twitter, and he wrote back because he's a he's a Trek fan. Of course, too. he is. Um, uh, who else have I been reading? Um, of course, now the name's gone out of my head. Well, I mean, I, I bang on about the Expanse an awful lot. Obviously, James, I say Corey's Expanse books are great. I, I haven't. I've series. heard. I've heard they're very good, and I I, I do like hard science fiction. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll have to check, I have to check those out. Yeah. And things like the three body problem, which is coming to Netflix. Oh my God. That's you know. so good. Oh, yeah. is it really? It's, yeah. It's coming to Netflix. And I mean, the trailer, oh, man, which, I hope they don't screw it up. <laughs> well, exactly. But if you watch the trailer, like it's incredibly dense. You're just like, I don't know what this is about, but it looks awesome. Oh, I'm sure they spent a fortune on it too. Uh, that it, I loved that entire trilogy of books. Yeah. That was great. Well, it feels like things like Foundation on Apple, I don't know if you saw that, have paved the way for this kind of previously inaccessible sci-fi, that people are now willing to give that more of a chance. Mm-hmm. And also budgets on streaming are significantly higher, so you can actually do justice to them, uh, which is <laughs> oh, nice. Also, I've been reading a lot of Alistair Reynolds. Oh, okay. I like quite a bit. I think he's great. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got some really great short stories too. Mm. I mean, look, sci-fi has been around forever, but Star Trek has been around, what, it's nearly 60 years, right, of Star Trek. Like, yeah. And yet it's still, I wouldn't even say it's still as popular. It's much more popular now, I would say, because it was quite niche, right, back in the 60s. Like, people enjoyed it, but there was a, a sort of a veneer of nerdiness to it. I'm a nerd. I can accept that. Uh, but nowadays it does feel like it's broadened out and everyone kind of loves the show. Like, what do you think has kept that enduring? Like, why do you think people still love it? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's maybe... There's an intrinsic sense of optimism at the mm. heart of Trek uh, that exists as a counterpoint to all of the. I mean, man, if I see one more TV show set in a post-apocalyptic landscape, I'm just I'm gonna puke. Okay, <laughs> it's just we have such a dour idea about our future. It's just gotten old. Yeah, and I think there's something really refreshing uh, and hopeful about about Star Trek. Um, and it's interesting to see how that in itself has developed over the years. You know, the, I was just saying earlier that the that one of the big crazy sci-fi ideas of the original pilot was that there was a the first officer was a woman. Whoa, <laughs> crazy! Yeah, you know, and and then I after we finished season one, somebody had mentioned that we are the majority of our cast and crew uh, of the Enterprise were female. And I looked around, I was like, Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. So we we've actually had to figure out ways of continuing to push the boundaries of, of, of inclusion and, um, and how we look at ourselves as a species and as a culture. Mm. Well, that's what Star Trek's always done, right? It's always held the sort of prism of sci-fi in front of modern society. 
Well, that's what a good TV show does in general. I think at its best, it can only operate as a metaphorical platform about where we are. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking of The West Wing specifically. My favorite that's TV show of why all time. It was so successful. Yeah. It, was, it was about our nation as it exists outside of the TV show, but done in a safe, metaphorical, funny way mm -hmm. that we could all participate in and not feel threatened by. Right? We need that show back. Oh, God, we, we absolutely really need do. that show back. <laughs> Please, for the love of God. Yes. But that was a show that did almost something similar to Star Trek, right? It showed you the best possible versions of who we could be. Like the American government, if it was this, everything would be fine in the world. And with Star Trek, I, if this is the future, I think everything will be if fine. If they do it, it, it should be, I, I'm telling you, if they do the West Wing again, it should be a, a Republican administration and they should just be boring bureaucrats. <laughs> No crimes they at all. They just get <laughs> shit done. <laughs> well, that was the idea in season seven, that Alan Alder's character was supposed to win the election. And then John Spencer obviously unfortunately died. And oh, they, that's they, right. They repitched. They thought, well, we can't have him lose his running that's, mate and then lose the election. So that's Santa's right. Won. Yeah. But uh, that would have been an interesting way to continue that story. But it does feel like if you look at that then, it feels like almost a very naive look at what, politics is because you go now in an era where uh stuff like veep was deemed too close to it cut too close to the bone like it's it's, it's become a circus hasn't it so it's uh it's gone a little bit beyond that but yeah hopefully we can bring it all back calm it down bring back the west wing i think that would uh that would be the way forward for all of us um last question that i did want to ask you which is this is that every star trek has a villain uh, you know, Romulans for next gen. We've had Klingons mm. for original series. It feels like for Strange New Worlds, the Gorn are the villain. Excellent choice because obviously the uh, the, the the arena is what the most well known episode of the original series. I would right. say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, what did you think of that as as the nemesis for the show? Well, when when the writers first told me that the Gorn were going to be the nemesis, I I just I said, of course. That is such a brilliant idea in so many ways. Number one, it, it conjures this sense of uh, mischief in the fans. The Gorn does. Uh, it's it's it was it's such a high bar technically to do the Gorn that that not a lot of people have wanted to to tackle it. And that, but then you look at a canon literature, and they're everywhere. I mean, they're they're all over the Beta Quadrant apparently, <laughs> and so. Uh, to to pick up that mantle and and try to do it with today's technology was um, it just made all the sense in the world and I'm really glad that we did it and they come across as properly formidable as well I love the fact that you have the baby Gorn are absolutely deadly we've not even seen an adult Gorn yet so amazing coming. stuff yeah coming soon <laughs> coming soon cannot wait Anson thank you very much for your time it has been much appreciated thanks right that was Anson Mount let's move on to this week's reviews uh, and this week. We have Can Confidential on Acorn. Now, this is a classic procedural, yes, an actual procedural, not a, not just episodic, an actual procedural, in which a gutsy can detective called Lieutenant Camille Delmas teams up with a suave con man called Harry King to solve crimes and potentially right an injustice. Oh, and they're both hot, and they bicker all the time in a kind of simmering pot of sensual tension. But it's all good. It's all good. It is a procedural. It's maybe not the most peak TV thing in the world, but it's fine because Harry King is played by none other than the CAG himself, 
Jamie Bamber. So, Kay, Battlestar Galactica fan that you are, were you <laughs> properly excited to see the CAG on screen? And confidentially, can you recommend it? Oh, gosh, James, that was, that's a lot to unpack right there. Um, I obviously don't know. I haven't seen Jamie in, uh, in the show, but um, in that show, I... This is, I'm surprised you let us or wanted us to review this, James, is the <laughs> Everything truth Everything else was embargoed. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that he, you were so excited for us to review this was um, surprising. I because, mean, excited is a stretch. Well, you've kind of summarized the plot. It's, yeah. I think the first episode does a good job of like, you know, it sets up all the characters and the general premise and the dynamics um, as like Camille, played by Lucy Lucas, uh, tries to hunt down the killer of Vince, who is like um, thought to be a famous anonymous artist in the style of Banksy. And to me, when I was watching this, I just had like, it felt like a mashup of a few different shows. So Riviera, do you remember Riviera? Yeah. Um, with Julia Stiles. Stiles. Um, it has an element of wacky races because <laughs> 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 they go on this really like loads of car chases, bike chases, stuff like that. And a touch of Sunset Beach. And yeah, I just think it was knowingly cheesy and hammy. Um, and carries on regardless. I wouldn't say I'm going to watch any more of this, but it, I would I would emphasize James's point that this isn't premium quality TV, but is is entertaining nonetheless. Well, you're too young, um, but it reminded me of The Persuaders, right? Which was a show that went out in 1971 <laughs> when I was only four, but I've, it must have carried on. It carried on until. For a couple of years, and I remember one of my earliest, must be one of my earliest viewing experiences. But The Persuaders starred Tony Curtis and Roger Moore, right, as like kind of gentlemen. I don't know what they were really, comment or something. And but there was a lot of like French Riviera style, you know, um, action based action, and it was um, it was kind of filmed in glamorous locations like this. So it reminded me of that, as, and, but I agree with the, with, with the ones you mentioned as well. But the funny thing about this show is it's something like brilliantly stilted about the whole thing. And like, it's partly because <laughs> the French characters, who are played by French actors and actresses, like the two lead French actresses, speak in like a quad English yeah. kind of. Exclusively speaking in, yeah. in English. Exclusively speaking in yeah, English. Yeah, but to, to each, each other. other. With so a French accent. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, with yeah, a, yeah. With a heavy French accent. And that's just weird. <laughs> and then your mate, James's mate, comes along from about Star Galactica, kind of being very English. And the way we know he's being so English, he keeps calling him Lieutenant all the yes. time. Yes, yeah. he does. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant about 5,000 times in case we've forgotten what she does or who she is or that he's English. Um, and it's just really, it, but it just amused me just how kind of we, and the dialogue. I mean, <laughs> don't stand, don't stand too close to the flame. You'll get burned. That was one brilliant bit. Oh I was God. like, yeah, if you stand too close, we know why you're not going to stand too close to the flame because you'll get burned. You don't need to, you get burned bit. We know does, what the Does whole this not feel like that's the bit where, you know, you, you'd be like, Horatio Kane would like pull off his sunglasses and the who would be like, wow, you know, it's yeah. like the CSI where it always used to be like a pun. Let's take him to the bank, to the blood bank. And then it would like cut to the credits. Yeah. yeah. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It uses cliches like as if mm. they're actual genius bits of dialogue. It's so yeah. reliant on cliches. It's amazing. But the funny, even funnier than all of that, and this whole thing did amuse me very much, is that <laughs> it's a whodunit, right? It's, it is a, it's a, it's literally a procedural, James's least favourite genre. But the whodunit, the mystery, is the death of this um, graffiti artist, basically. There are literally like two, maybe three maximum 
maximum oh. suspects. And it's it turns so out to be one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, yeah. it's the least interesting mystery. It's a no-brainer. Oh, my God. It's a, lit- it's a no-brainer. And I thought that was so funny. They couldn't be bothered. I mean, they have to introduce the characters, but they couldn't be bothered to come up with more than, like, two suspects for this crime. It's so funny. It is absolutely shockingly terrible, but in, in a quite a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> I just think Jamie Bamber's character as well is so camp. Like, you know what? Yeah. Just so oh, yeah. knowingly camp and like. Yeah. But everyone, everyone's English- kind of a bit, it's like everyone struts through it. Like a, the, yeah. the artist, the Greek artist, um, gallerist woman, she's hilarious and a lavish. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is like ridiculous. It? it is <gasps> oh, funny. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's very much a case of, hi, the 1980s called and they want their show back. (laughs) I don't know know how this exists. I mean, I kind of understand why it's on Acorn, which is a a channel that I would say I've never heard of, but I'm actually pretty sure we reviewed at least one Acorn thing in the past. I don't know how Hmm. you watch it. I don't know where it exists, but apparently it's a thing. I don't know, from small acorns grow mighty trees, perhaps, but this isn't one of them. Uh, No, it's, it's not for me on any level or I would argue for anyone else because if you like procedurals there are many many better ones out there uh, so but let's no. face it the only reason you even vaguely apart from the fact that everything else was embargoed which is yes, true it was is I knew you would probably because I did give you a couple of other options if you remember <laughs> but you, of course you picked this because of Jamie Bamber's in Battlestar Galactica and it's totally yeah. backfired on you you see, this is this is my elite sci-fi coming to the fore again. Mm, yeah. uh, I was hoodwinked by the CAG. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. CAG Confidential anyway. comes to Acorn, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, <laughs> and when does I'm it come, sure they'll be delighted. They sent us the screeners that I asked for, and this is the thanks they get. <laughs> I apologise, Acorn. Acorn, Acorn I TV, which is a lovely streaming service full of interesting, fun, prime sagas and stuff. It arrives there today, Monday, 26th of June. Come on, how do people get Acorn? How do you, where just, do you find like, Acorn? You'll find it on, it'll be an option. It's like an app, they have their own app on Sky okay, or, okay. or um, you'll find it on uh, Prime Video somewhere as well. It's, yeah, it's like its own little streaming, streaming service. Screaming okay, service. good, good. <laughs> A screaming service, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. Right. Next up, we have Champion. On BBC One, uh, which you've already heard about, I think, hopefully, possibly, from Candace Carty-Williams herself, uh, who I'm sure gave you a perfectly good synopsis when you were listening to that interview, which hasn't happened yet. I am going to ask Kate to talk about this one as well, because obviously Boyd has done the interview and therefore is compromised. James's Weird Rules. Yeah, so this is um, an eight-part musical drama, and as Candice no doubt said, um, she was commissioned to do this from from scratch. They wanted to uh, do a drama about set in South London about the UK uh, black music scene, particularly the rap scene. And I really, really enjoyed this because the whole story revolves around the Champion family and in particular the siblings Bosco, played by Malcolm Camuletti, um, who's in Top Boy, and Vita, played by newcomer Deja J. Bowens, um, who are basically become rivals. Bosco's been in prison. He is already established as a sort of semi-famous rap artist. He comes out of prison and he's trying to kind of um, reclaim his crown. And what we learned very quickly is that he's got anxiety issues. He's, you know, he's, he doesn't write his lyrics himself. His sister does that. Vita does it. And what we see is there's a growing tension between them because Vita is getting frustrated about the fact that she doesn't get any kind of credit for what she does. She's essentially his PA manager, Dog's Body, his, his mum, their mum played by um, Nadine Marshall, who's fantastic and save me. She wants the daughter just to look after her son um, and gives gives her very little opportunity to grow. And eventually Vita has enough, 
and she decides to go out on her own because she's a good singer and she's a good lyricist. And this is about the, the rivalry, but it's about so much more because they cover so much mental, male mental health, um, racism, police harassment. It's just so, what I love about this, other than I really, really like the music, which is all original tracks. Ray BLK is a character in this. She's a singer-songwriter, but she acts in this as Vita's best friend, Honey. And she also serves as a music executive. And so I love all the original music, but the thing I love most about it is just that it just feels so real and authentic. It doesn't feel like you're watching actors. You just feel like you're watching a family that is being, you know, that they have these dynamics that everyone does, you know, like rivalry between siblings, favoritism, um, and also obviously the struggles um, that they suffer, you know, that they kind of encounter being harassed by the police and stuff like that. I just thought everything about this reeks authenticity and I just really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah, it's it's um I think Candice uh Cartoons has just done a brilliant job. This is you know, this is a tough to to not to create a story set in the music industry, which is a hard you know, to get those details right and to make it feel real and not make it feel kind of cheesy and slightly over the top. Um, you know, there's a scene where they go in to have a meeting with a music cup, uh, record company and all, all these kind of ridiculous, pompous kind of white guys basically are trying to be show how authentic they are. And that rang so true, it was brilliant. Um, and also, but also it's looking at a lot of different, it, you know, it's, it's kind of you, with this very gripping storyline of these um, sibling, this sibling rivalry that work that by the end of the first episode you're completely swept up in it because you really feel for her particularly the sister character um uh, uh, that that she's being not only is she kind of treated really unfairly by her brother but her mum their mum also sides with him all the time which for you know for no good reason and that feels is really painful for her and all of that ends up being completely gripping but you've then got these scenes like as you mentioned as Kay mentioned the um when the police arrive when they're having like um his birthday party and that is so sudden and shocking and filmed so brilliantly um that you're completely you're completely taken aback and of course and that as a dramatization of the fact that black people are treated differently by the police particularly i think by the metropolitan police in london we don't have to go into that whole recent instance involving the met but that was so powerfully done i thought it was brilliant directed by john ogumuyiwa he brilliantly um handled the first this this episode i thought and he's like this is his first tv stuff that he's directed he's directed some short films before but i just thought he handled all of the different elements of it really well um it's just a really gripping fascinating um drama and, and uh it's really impressive it is yeah that sequence where you talk about where the police breaking the party is very shocking for just the injustice of it like it, it makes you furious watching it uh the way they're treated i thought exactly i think guys right the authenticity is definitely the word here uh it felt very very believable um i also think it does something very clever and also very difficult which is it's all about show don't tell like if you're gonna have uh, an up-and-coming rapper who's amazing stuff you're gonna have to show him rapping like and th it has to be good enough to make it believable that he's successful and obviously that's really fucking difficult um 
And I think, you know, fair play to her that she really, really pulls that off. Like, it, you, you totally believe. You think, actually, do you know what? He comes across as very talented. You can see how he could be a breakout artist. Uh, and they show you extended musical sequences. Now, when this was obviously described as a musical show, you know, I thought it would be people coming, here I am, coming down to make breakfast, <laughs> la, 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 la. You know, I thought, I was like, what is this that you've made me watch? And I was like, oh, it's not that at all. <laughs> like, no. it's, it's a, you know, it's a drama, but it has extended musical sequences because he's a performer and he performs and so does she and i really like that from the very first scene you get that sense that his sister who i won't say is necessarily the real talent except she clearly is the null to his liam and <laughs> uh his sister gets completely marginalized completely ignored he takes her for granted and obviously uses her talent and then the mother who we witness always takes his side in all of this like she's very much like she's not particularly supportive of his sister even though she is talented in her own right uh so yeah it's very compelling lots of great human drama and and it's got great musical stuff in it as well so yes i rather enjoyed this despite the lack of elite science fiction spoiler alert this is my pick of the week Oh, oh well, that I mean, is a spoiler. Oh, that, that's that's ruined. Okay. <laughs> fucking ruined the last. That's I mean, I know you're procedure to the wind. You know, yeah, whatever. I mean, you're, I will forgive it because you're because you're on death's door at death's door, yeah. whatever the phrase yeah. is. Only because I really love. I really, really like. It just feels really I mean, fresh. It's not and that exciting. Big, I thought you were going to say this is my pick of the year. I mean, that would be. Oh you know, no, 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 no. Uh, no look, but- look, Boydie, in a year where Foundation came out, I don't think we can really say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, that is Champion, which airs on BBC One when? Saturday. BBC Saturday. One, Saturday evening, 9.15pm. A great slot. Great stuff. Finally this week, we have Hijack on Apple TV+, Plus, which sees Idris Elba as a man trying to get home to see his wife, only for his flight from Dubai to London to be hijacked and for the seven-hour journey to play out in real time. Boydie, please review this one in real time over the course of seven hours, starting now. No one, no one needs to hear that. I'll do it in seven minutes. Um, this is a absolute joyride. Um, I alluded to, as listeners of the podcast will know, the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've been so looking forward to this. I love aeroplane set films, TV shows, etc. From airport, the airport series, airplane, the spoof, Red Eye, um, all of them. Uh, I love them all. There's something about there's something inherently dramatic and exciting. I think about boarding a plane, the possibilities, you know, that that affords. You, who are you going to sit next to? You know, are you going to be able to fit all your stuff in the overhead locker? Um, will the plane be all right? Will it crash? You know, all of this stuff. What Does that steward- go through your head? Yeah, you're getting on the plane. I love this is a very boy thing. Who am I going to be sitting next to in my yeah. first class seat? Well, will it be okay. someone famous? Not, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, thing, not even that with his private jet. That's a good yeah, well, that's a good point though because in your in your first or business class seat because um of course oh, uh, God, Idris, here we go. Idris Elba's character Sam gets pl- sat next to an infuriating bellend yes. of a like this kind of like Tory boy figure who's a complete twat. And that does affect things that he is sat next to. And that's, so for example, that's that immediately you're thrust into this annoyingness. He has to sit, sit next to this complete doofus. Um, I thought that was really funny. But the whole idea is, is brilliant of having seven episodes, each covering roughly, I mean, they cheat a bit, you know, it's a bit, but covering roughly an hour in the in the, in in the story, and it isn't just set on the plane. So there is the plane with about two hundred and twenty passengers on board, which is quite claustrophobic, and you meet a handful of the passengers, and there's a gang of like five hijackers who seem to be British, and you're not really sure. You have no idea what their motive is. Led by Neil Maskell, the brilliant Neil Maskell of Utopia fame, who's very scary. 
and horrible. And um, you also get to see what's happening on the ground. You get to see the air traffic control uh, person led by Eve, Eve Miles. You get to see the politicians and the counterterrorism people dealing when this starts getting really serious and they're threatening to kill the passengers. So it does cross cut between all these different things. But the core of the action is still on board the plane. And Idris Elba's character is this, um, he's basically a negotiator for businesses. But and, and you kind of keep thinking, oh, he's going to end up being that he's really a CIA agent or something, you know, as kind of super a man figure, like a born identity. But he's not. He's just literally a negotiator for businesses. But but he's so cool and calm and has so many brilliant ideas, psychological ideas of how to deal with and manipulate the situation that it's a brilliant role for him, I have to say. Like, you know, the last, the Luther film that went was on Netflix earlier this year came in for quite a lot of criticism and it wasn't, it, it just his finest hour, let's say. But this is a proper great role for him. He's so cool. Immediately, the first time you see him on the travel aid to the airport, he's like just kind of, stoical and he's some and, and the way he tries to work with the uh, passengers and the hijackers and deal with the situation is just fascinating i thought it was massively entertaining gripping i binged through the whole lot annoyingly of course apple tv plus do not make all episodes available i'm afraid listeners they put so the first two go out on wednesday but then you have to wait for the rest week by week but i've seen the whole seven hours of it and i love oh, you show off no no I'm just, I, I, feel, I, I just have to say that's how addictive it was i couldn't stop watching it so I thought it was an uh, absolute um, blast. How is it that I'm the one who gets singled out for being a massive twat in these reviews and not you for saying things like that? No, <laughs> I, no I sounded the twat klaxon when you talked about going first class. Mm. That is true. That is true. Yeah. My first class story is the first time I flew business, which is to go on the set of Joss Whedon's Serenity movie. Uh, someone jostled me seat as my seat as they were putting stuff in their overhead locker when they sat next to me. Anyway, and I was like, oh, tutting. And it was Patrick Stewart. Oh my! And also, of course, you were tutting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew, I tutted internally. I did not tut externally because I was oh, very good. excited to be in business class. I'd never been there before. Uh, You've yeah, been Patrick jostled Stewart. by never... Patrick Stewart. That's a, that's a boast. I, I, I was, yeah. A quick jostle with you and Patrick. A quick jostle with Patrick Stewart at the, the, you know, however many thousand feet. Yes. All right. Well, enough about Patrick Stewart. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. So Boydie, as he shared on this podcast a few weeks ago, had started watching this early. Uh, and it is incredibly addictive. Like from the first episode, when I put this on, I absolutely could not stop watching it like it's absolutely compulsive viewing partly the real time i think format lends itself to that but they do it and it shows how far we've come from 24 because like you'll recall that the biggest problem 24 had was they had this great idea for a real-time show and then realized the execution is nowhere near as exciting because by definition if Kiefer sutherland needs to drive somewhere you've got 20 minutes where you've now got to go somewhere else to see something else happening while he drives from a to b right and so you ended up with these awful 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 plot filler sort of like c d e f to z plots just designed to burn time so you get kim and the fucking cougar you get terry losing her memory you get these dreadful dreadful things because they just couldn't think of anything else to happen when you have to be away from the action and i think what this show does it helps that it's a, a really contained space in this that it all happens on a plane so obviously doesn't have to drive anywhere he just walks into you know economy uh but they have really good drama on the ground you've got the kind of dubai air traffic controller and his investigations like the air traffic controller in the uk which is genius because you start with her doing the juggle like trying to sort out the school run she's late for work you don't even know who she is 
and she's like coming up with excuses for her boss and even that's really compelling and then when she comes in she's a major player in the plot uh you've got max beasley who's kind of like the he's a police officer but he's the boyfriend of idris elba's estranged wife so you have all these different people on the ground who all have interesting drama to bring to this and then you keep cutting back to the plane and they have enough different people doing enough different things on the plane that that's always intriguing as well plus i just think it's exactly as boyd said it's a brilliant twist on that passenger 57 thing where oh no they've hijacked a plane but did they know who was sitting in seat 8f you know it's like this guy who's but it's not it's just a guy who negotiates with bellends for a living and is a master of psychological manipulation because that's his literal job and he deploys it to excellent effect and it's a nice kind of like subversion because idris elba who is frankly a unit you know you would think he's physically imposing but that's not what this show is about it's all about sort of like uh it's all much more cerebral than that but it's yeah it's so much fun uh i i defy anyone not to want to watch all of these in one go and all i can do is apologize that you are unable to because apple will drop it week by week but it is definitely worth sticking with uh and it's, it, it's great say it's brilliantly handled but it's it's um created by george k and jimfield smith who worked it together is. on criminal on netflix and but George works on Lupin. It's got, it has, they, he's got, they, they, they're both of them put together so brilliantly. They, they're like a well-oiled machine, their shows. And they, 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 they do um, work so well. And this is a fantastic example of just a properly tense, taut, wonderfully entertaining thriller. Yeah, which stars also Roshenda Sandal, who shouts yes. at people quite a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, and if you're Violet Plus, you will understand why that is relevant. Uh, but uh, yes, lots of fun then. Hijack, which comes to Apple TV Plus on, I'm going to say Friday. No, it's Wednesday. Damn it. Yeah. Okay. Wednesday then on Apple TV Plus. Correct. Uh, and that is Hijack. And that is, oh, the one other thing I will share with you, Boydie. I'll yeah. give you a thousand pounds of K's money if you can name. <laughs> Who sings the theme tune to this show? To to Hijack? Yes. Oh, my God. I don't know. Um, it really threw me because it's an album that I had in the 90s. Uh, and that particular song is Lonely Soul by Uncle featuring Richard Ashcroft. So, oh, do you know what? I should have thought about that more. Yeah, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant. <laughs> I recognise that without having well. to shazam yeah. it. I was like, oh, I well, know amazing. this. Uh, there you go. That's an extra fact. That's the kind of stuff you get from this elite sci-fi podcast, mm. right? Uh, okay, fine. That's it. We're done. What else is out this week, Boydie? Oh, quickly, uh, Riches, which is on ITVX at Christmas, arrives on ITV One on Friday, the thirtieth at nine o'clock. This is the show about black British uh, family with a kind of beauty business, and it's very um, compelling and entertaining. Uh, Before we die, which started where we did the interview with Paddy Gibson. That's actually started yesterday, Sunday, as this goes out, but carries on uh, each weeknight until uh, Wednesday. The Witcher, as you as before mentioned, arrives on Netflix yes. on Thursday, by the way, Thursday, not Friday. Which will be Jack reviewing Ryan. on Pilot TV+. Plus. Jack Ryan arrives on Friday on Prime yes, Video. which will also be reviewing on Pilot TV+. Plus. We Hunt Together, which has been on UK TV Alibi, that arrives on BBC One on Monday. Um, and that Oh, there's an interesting documentary about Kanye uh, called The Trouble with Kanye, BBC Two Wednesday, that I nearly Which forced us to watch. James wouldn't, yeah, James wouldn't yeah. ask watch. Yeah. Um, and that is it. Exciting. Right. That is it then for this week's show. If you enjoyed it, please do head over to the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a five ceiling roller rating. Uh, what else have we got? Yes, please, please follow us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Kay Ribeiro, at Boyd Hilton. Please do book your tickets for the live show and please do subscribe to Pilot Plus. We very much appreciate your help in keeping us around. Uh, on next week's show, we'll be reviewing some TV shows. 
Uh, they may or may not be elite sci-fi. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but we will have some people from The Witcher on as guests. Wendell Pierce from Jack Ryan's going to be on as well. So we can have some exciting guests on it here too. So we will hear from you all then. Boydie, go and go and speak to Candice. Or not. Yes. We'll see what happens. It's yes. very exciting. Yes. Pick of the week is... Uh, oh, pick is, of the week! Um, well, we know what case is. Well, we know what case is, but she hasn't seen Hijack. But, uh, but Champion is really good, but so is Hijack. Yes. Hijack yeah. is my pick of the week. Okay. Uh, and my pick of several weeks, actually. It's really, really good. Yeah. Same. So, excellent. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Pilot out. <laughs>